0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Books in Japanese Studies, a channel on New Books Network. I'm Takeshi Morisato. Today, I will be talking to Guim McLean, who is the author of Dangerous Memory in Nagasaki, Prayers, Protests, and Catholic Survivor Narratives, a book that was just published in the book series called Ages Transformations in 2020 by Routledge. Hello, Gwen. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we are so excited to talk to you about your new book on Japan and your theological insight into the Catholic survivor narratives, especially the collective memory of the atomic bomb and its tragic consequences in Nagasaki, Japan. But before getting into it, I'd like to start with a question about you. Could you introduce yourself by telling us about your career? Research and especially how you are involved with this field of Japanese studies and theology.
1: Okay, sure. Uh, Look, I um, I've sort of uh, did a master's of divinity between uh, 2002 Mm -hmm. and 2008. Uh, So I did that part time while I was uh, working as a, a school teacher, and then I I decided that really I hadn't got to the end of of what the research. Uh, what, what I'd done there. So I did a thesis then on um, having interviewed two survivors in Nagasaki, uh, mm-hmm. and and that was the point at which I thought, no, I've got to go a bit further, and so I began a PhD um, mm-hmm. and, and sort of entered into the study of history at that point in time.
0: Um, How did so, you uh, come yeah, to study yeah. the Japanese, perhaps? How did you jump oh, no. from this? theology to a um, specific topic of Nagasaki.
1: Sure. Okay. And that's kind of uh, goes back a little bit further because uh, mm. I I was actually living in Asia as a child. So I lived in, uh, in Bangladesh actually for mm-hmm. around about eight years. And then while I was there, I was doing correspondence school from Australia. And that, that was when I began my study of Japanese. And uh, along the way, we met a Japanese family in in um, in this in the city of Dhaka in Bangladesh and um, got to know them a little bit, couldn't really mm-hmm. speak that much with them, couldn't really um, understand each other very well. But mm-hmm. they, uh, they actually donated to me a uh, cartoon, which was um, Harashi no Gen, but it was in mm-hmm. English. <laughs> and right, was, right, uh, yeah. is this famous manga, uh, which is about the story of... Um, especially a boy and his family, um, caught up in the Hiroshima atomic bombing. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess as a 12-year-old, I, I read this book. And um, mm-hmm. so I think in a way that that led me back eventually to when, when my wife and I moved to Japan for a couple of years, then mm-hmm. we travelled, travelled to both Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And then um, I was quite caught up by the difference between those two cities and right. uh, noticed the church as we went into the museum in, in Nagasaki, and mm-hmm. uh, and so I think that was the beginning of my fascination with especially the city of Nagasaki and the stories that came mm-hmm. out of that place.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is usually the first question uh, after the question about the author in in this channel. But the uh, we asked the sort of how what, what motivated you to write this book and sort of the birth of this um, book. Uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that was your experience of visiting two cities and then realized that, oh, I'm really interested in writing about these um, um, atomic bomb survivors in Nagasaki. But, mm. so can you tell us a little bit more about the specific um, motivations behind writing this book? For instance, mm-hmm. why did you choose Nagasaki over Hiroshima? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the topics that might be easier for some people to. Um, Work on Hiroshima than Nagasaki. Only for instance, mm-hmm. that would be the uh, second question.
1: Yeah, and I think you earlier asked me about Japanese studies and theology, and I didn't really explain very much about theology. But I think mm-hmm. that I think that it really was through the theology that I began my interest in in particularly Nagasaki, because I, see. Uh, I guess um, in terms of what I was particularly interested in was. Would I find? Would I find that there was any um, Christian survivors in Nagasaki who, you know, still um, had a belief in our God despite despite the experiences that they had had? And I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, the answer is yes. There are some people who have gone on to hold on to faith of some sort. But mm-hmm. um, but I guess that, that was uh, that was a part of the reason that I was uh, started to be interested in this Catholic community. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I realised that um, even though there have been like, quite a lot of uh, um, books early on in the 1950s and 60s, mm-hmm. well, sorry, especially the 50s um, by Nagai Takashi, um, mm-hmm. by a doctor, uh, a Catholic doctor who suffered the bombing and then um, passed away, but he wrote a lot about it, the experience of that, and... Um, but there wasn't really um, a follow up. There wasn't really um, much about ordinary Catholic survivors mm-hmm. in the time since there was a little bit, but just not very much um, that was written about mm-hmm. that at all.
0: Yeah, I see. So the theological motivation uh, behind this uh, collective memory of Nagasaki. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd I like to, you know, delve into this sort of. Um, uh, theological aspect of this um, research and it, 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 the book was very interesting because it sparked with many insight into the philosophy or religion but also just sort of experience of what it is like to go through this um, tragic event. Um, it's very difficult for um, you know normal citizens living in 2020. Uh, perhaps the pandemic put put us in different category but you know usually mm-hmm. very difficult for us to understand what it does to a collective memory. Mm-hmm. So the first question is this, um, um, the, it's it's even a title, The Notion of Dangerous Memory. Um, it seems to have multiple meanings, first of all.
1: Mm-hmm. Can
0: you explain briefly what the term dan- dangerous memory actually means? And why was this so important for the general context of theology and, and also your uh, mm-hmm. research in, in this specific topic?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. Well, the um, the... Theologian who developed the uh, theology of dangerous memory. Um, I mean, one of his one of the critiques of of dangerous memory in the end is that it, it is a little bit nebulous. It's a bit difficult to pin down because um, there are various ways of understanding it. Um, but I, I think that uh, what he intended, and and I think the context out of which he came, is pretty essential in terms of understanding this concept. Um, because he was a soldier in um, in Germany, and mm-hmm. and so for him, um, this was a political theology. Which um, you know, in actual fact, he he meant this theology to critique the church, um, because mm-hmm. he, coming from Germany, um, the church stood by, and the Jewish people, you know, went mm-hmm. by the masses to to um, the Holocaust, and and they died in on mass. Mm-hmm. And um, so for him, you know, this was a, an essential part of what Dangerous Memory was. It's dangerous disrupting the status quo um, mm-hmm. even of of the Christians um, who stood by in, in that way because mm-hmm. basically this is a theology which is the idea of a God being actually with the poor and actually with mm-hmm. the oppressed in history mm-hmm. and the suffering. And... So, if if that's the if that's what dangerous memory is, it's a memory of suffering and oppression, then of course it's going to be quite difficult for uh, people at the other end, the, people, the victorious or the uh, the ones who are succeeding, to mm-hmm. spend a lot of time to understand. Um. So yeah, so the, that's basically that idea, and and I wondered whether. Um, this kind of dangerous memory, this kind of theological idea could be helpful to, helpful at all to to look at the atomic bombing and and to think about the suffering and I suppose you know I, I guess I was looking at the uh, the Catholics in particular but mm-hmm. um, I think for Metz it wouldn't really just be the one group but it would be all of the suffering all of the oppressed in this in this kind of event and uh, that he would be. I'm concerned
0: with. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's very interesting because the this dangerous memory comes from this, um, you know, the memory of World War II in Germany and how it's applied to this context of um, uh, victims in Japan. Um, but it's different cultural and historical context and it has it kind of adds different layers to this concept of dangerous memory. Or do you think that the dangerous yeah. memory... From the original is so, you know, you use the word nebulous, or perhaps it's so has many rich implications, such that we'll be able to use in in different contexts.
1: Yeah, I think I think it can be used in different contexts, and um, yeah, and so I mean, in a way, um, you know, it can, it can mean different things to different people. I think, and uh, whereas. Metz. Um, I think initially he had more of an idea of it being uh, especially the um, Christian remembering of Christ who was of mm-hmm. course executed by an imperial regime um, right. but I, th- I think as a historian thinking about history, um, even in Australia uh, we have this, um, it's coming up soon because we have the 26th of January is Australia Day and so mm-hmm. I'm very aware, um, you know, that Australia day is celebrated or um, you know in in um, it's it's celebrated on the day on which the um, first fleet arrived in Australia and so in mm-hmm. a sense for the indigenous people of Australia um, this is not something to celebrate at all this right. is, and so in Australia nowadays um, there is a strong feeling that this is an invasion day and mm-hmm. uh, you know that it's um, so for me, this kind of remembering the suffering, the people who have not, not um, that have been marginalized and forgotten mm-hmm. uh, you know there's a, that's a dangerous memory in Australia as well because again, the status quo has a lot you know a lot of people have, have things to lose if we, um, if we really take seriously uh, mm-hmm. the the, the, um, the past and and reparations and reconciliation
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do agree that the, there's a huge disparity between the literature on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even the preface to this book talks about how the Nagasaki has been always the first city in many respects. But somehow this most signature event of atomic bombing in the uh, 1940s um, somehow always kind of put in the shadow of Hiroshima. So. You know, President mm-hmm. President Obama goes to Hiroshima, but we don't really hear anything about Nagasaki in that year. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so I think the significant book is just to have that record of, you know, interviewing the victims and listening to their collective memories and putting down um, in, in a book. I think it's a it's a it, it, that in itself is an amazing historical achievement. I find.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But, uh, my question is how um, how did you get in contact with these? Um, survivors and also like the the challenges of the time because it's it's been more than seventy years. Um, yeah, old, yeah. Right, yeah. The, the the survivors' um, memories are from their very young age, and they tend to be quite old. And also numbers, like the, um, so yeah. perhaps my question is: How many did you in, interview, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, were there any challenges that you you know face in selecting these stories?
1: Yeah, um, no, definitely. And it was, um, I mean, as I, I said right at the initial um, stage, that it, it was, I wasn't even sure, you know, whether I'd be able to interview um, mm-hmm. people. Uh, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I was very, um, it was very helpful at the Nagasaki Atomic Bomb Museum. So, um, this is a place where, you know, you would know that, um, you know, a lot of um, students go there each year. Uh, mm-hmm. you get visit, visitors, international visitors, normally visit there as well, and so uh, the hibaksha have been doing, uh, going in and being katharibet and speaking about their experiences, and so uh, what I found was when I went to the Nagasaki like, Atomic Bomb Museum that the they um, they did know uh, some Catholic hibaksha and they were, they were happy to set up the interviews and they were also happy to speak to me about about that and understood that I, I was interested in their faith experience as well, and mm-hmm. uh, so the, especially the Nagasaki Atomic Bomb Museum, but then mm-hmm. a little bit of snowballing through um, a local researcher as well was, mm-hmm. uh, was very, very helpful. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think the, the other issues which you speak about are, of course, really, really important ones to consider. Especially, you know, seventy. Uh, it was between seventy and seventy-five years, I guess, when I was interviewing, and I think yeah. um, you know the the idea that somebody's had this experience when they were a child or mm-hmm. a young adult. Uh, so, what difference does that make for their memory? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what what um, what do I need to be careful about? And so, definitely, when I'm selecting the the experiences to relate i think being aware of that age um i think putting that up front in the book as well so that people can i guess mm-hmm. look at it and then make up their own minds as well um mm-hmm. so yeah was there anything else that i forgot <laughs> i just
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean the you couldn't have written the same book if you are to do it um you know five years later or five years before the, because their, yeah. their age groups are very limited um mm-hmm. did you also you um interviewed the second generation right the
1: yes uh, yes the
0: son of uh, nagai for instance mm-hmm. did you did you have a chance to talk with the family members about their sort of a secondary memory of uh this dangerous memory
1: Yes uh so there was there was one in particular who I spoke with who talked about his father's experience and uh I guess for him and I think this is very common for that next generation is that there's this massive gap there's a kind of real silence because um there's just such a reticence to speak about um mm. these horrible you know yeah. this dangerous, this terrible experience so um, he basically explained to me that his father had just told him once. He just mm-hmm. uh, talked about it once. And so, of course, that one time that his father spoke to him about it was incredibly um, memorable for him. And, uh, uh, and yeah. Um, so, yeah, I got that feeling that, well, I, I understood that, you know, that, the, um, that moving on through the generations, it, it can actually be very difficult um, and yeah. also also because what was quite interesting for me was that many of my, many of the Hibaksha who I spoke with um, had only decided to speak in the last three or four, maybe five years. Mm-hmm. So I realised that for many of these um, people who have suffered such a tragic event that uh, they can spend most of their lives not saying anything. And then mm-hmm. realize, you know, they wanted to say something. And then, um, you know, this this is a really important time for for actually listening. So I was aware right. of the importance of, um, which is an oral history uh, thing, but mm-hmm. to to listen and to be a good listener. <laughs> so mm-hmm. right. Yeah.
0: I, I guess I, I guess that's that would tie to the next question about this mm-hmm. sort of. Um generational gap or the, you know, often I'm disturbed with the uh, post-war tendency, especially in Japan, Mm -hmm. especially now in Japan, to pacify or kind of neutralize any negative pre-war historical images. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the government's saying something really nationalistic and Mm right-wing, you know, but, but we don't talk about, we said exactly the same thing in 1930s and 40s. We don't talk about 1930s and 40s. It seems like. Um, so this is a sort of fundamental question to the the concept of dangerous memory. Does that like once we talk about dangerous memory and put in this sort of format to package it as a part of a museums or a book, does that make it less dangerous in a way? Does that mm-hmm. does that actually neutralize it to the point where we can intellectually perceive it and move on? Um, you know so like sometimes you go to museum to see these events but it's is it doing the job that the dangerous memory is actually advocating Uh, or is it a part of human nature that we build these museums and try to understand intellectually and kind of move forward in the future Um, do you Mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts on this um, Mm -hmm. um, sort of a neutralization or pacification of dangerous memory
1: uh, yeah, that's a that's a really big question, I think, and uh difficult mm-hmm. one to answer. Um I think uh I'm just reflecting on uh one particular uh Hibakusha narrative and it was uh Fukuhari Georgi who mm-hmm. told me about his uh three siblings and a story about what happened after the bombing. Mm-hmm. And as as I say in the book, uh the the period of time he's actually telling me about in the interview you know he didn't experience himself so this mm-hmm. is part of what your question is i think because uh you know um how how we how do we um understand the veracity of what somebody says what's the mm-hmm. truth, truth within it and mm-hmm. um you know as the person listening i couldn't couldn't be completely sure about all of these events but uh but he, he told me the story of what happened to his three siblings and, uh, you know, it, I think this comes down to what you're talking about because having that um, story told and his mm-hmm. attempting to make a meaning out of it, um, it, it seemed to be a really important thing for Fukuhori who had spent such a long time of his life never saying anything about all of these things right. to anyone. Um, mm-hmm he was quite ambiguous about whether he believed in God. Um, You know, he he basically wanted to say, no, I just believe in a transcendence, Um, you know. uh, So his, um, but for him, this was so important. The three people he really cared about, what happened to them. um, Mm -hmm. And for him, the, the big thing here was, so the atomic bombing happened and, they were two of them were outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why didn't they die immediately? And right. uh, so, so, so there's this kind of for him, um, I think there was this reflecting on faith, but also there was a kind of no, I, I just really want to figure out the science and um, mm-hmm. make sense of all of this. And right. Um, and then the other point about Fukori was that he he participated in the peace boat. So he was involved in um, the Bear activities, and he um, he told this story more than once. So I was able to listen to him speaking at the United Nations um, school in you know, New York about the same same um, experiences and his siblings. And so, um, so you know, in answering, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but the, mm-hmm. the telling of these stories seem um, incredibly important for. For these Hibaksha, um, for their own reconciliation of and and trying to make meaning of of their lives, mm. and um, and in some way it helps I think the others of us to to see the full picture a little bit more. Um, yeah, of, of of the meaning of these events and the, the significance of you know for example either banning atomic yeah. weapons, right. nuclear weapons, or uh, you know, or, or more generally just war studies and um, what, what kind of conflict um, means and mm-hmm. so on.
0: Yeah. Right. So far from pacifying and neutralizing, there's a kind of element of, of this reliving the whole experience again and kind of vivifying the memory and think about the, yeah, you know, so- socio-political implications of that memory in today. For instance, Japanese government is not signing this uh, anti-nuclear weapon uh, international treaty, I think, and you know, it raised the questions like, oh, the government again they didn't sign it. Um, so this, you know, even within this Japanese society, um, you know, this mm-hmm. tendency to just preserve the, the dangerous memory and this sort of um, feeling that this shouldn't be extinguished, you know, this shouldn't be terminated uh, from the history of Japan, and we should kind of listen to these um, first-hand experience. Um, i totally agree with you on that mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it, it, it kind of feels like if if uh, the Japanese government is not going to ratify you know the mm-hmm. um, the anti-nuclear treaty then mm-hmm. uh, then it feels like that the there's an ignoring going on of of these stories <laughs> from its own people it, it, yeah that's what, it, that's what it feels like but
0: yeah right it, it leads to a really this really interesting questions, because the, your focus on the Urakami, Catholics in the Urakami, puts so many different angles to the question of the survivors of an atomic bomb uh, in comparison with the Hiroshima. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, there's a, you, you mentioned this fissure between Catholics and non-Catholics uh, in, in the city of Nagasaki. So there's a sort of a power balance or this oppressor and oppressed within the community or um, yeah. the marginalized in the community. And then this whole event of atomic bomb, um, you know, usual narrative is that the U.S. forces dropped this atomic bomb, so they are considered as the victimizers. Uh, and then, you know, the victims of atomic bomb, which creates the whole debate of, about, you know, who is actually the oppressor? Uh, they are the victims, but at the same time, nobody's talking about the reasons why this incident is happening, right? which has to include the Japanese authority and in the state at the time, but in the context of rakami, um, you know, there's much more complex layers of sociocultural implications. Um, can you tell us more about that? So, for instance, like the, it's, you know, I, I think a, a lot of American listeners probably wouldn't know that rakami uh, majority of the rakami uh, mm. victims are actually Catholics. Um, mm. For instance, does that add this sort of um, analysis of this, you know, World War II historical event differently from, for instance, Hiroshima?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's really significant, and you know, there there have been uh, so many books. I, I mean, I guess as you were saying before, so many books about Hiroshima, and so mm-hmm. in in English certainly you can read um, a lot more in it about Hiroshima, but even in English, the books which you can read about Nagasaki. Um, mm-hmm haven't for the most part uh, picked up on this significance of the um, the Catholic community in Urukami because mm-hmm. uh, I mean if you go to Nagasaki then then you kind of can see that there's um, there is a Catholic population there although of course mm-hmm. today now, nowadays it's um, it's not quite as concentrated as it was in 1945 but mm-hmm. uh, but certainly then in 1945 there was a uh, a concentrated Catholic population in in Urukami, which had been, which historically could be traced back, um, probably through to you know the um, just past sort of sixteen thirty or so. Mm-hmm. So after the uh, the foreign missionaries had been expelled from Japan and and the sakoku, the um, you know Japan's um, uh, securing off from the world was happening. For mm-hmm. two hundred and fifty years. Then um then the French missionaries came back uh after you know there was some colonial colonial stuff going on and um mm-hmm. forced treaties with Japan. Um mm-hmm. and then the French missionaries just uh you know, some people said that they they discovered the hidden Christians, but that's not true. The hidden Christians <laughs> discovered the missionaries. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: right, that's another, another question is about which one is the, uh, you know, authentic heir of the tradition. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, so um, there's a, a French missionary called Petit Jean, uh, and he he was in the church, and and along came these uh, hidden Christians. They traveled all the way from Murakami, and they came mm-hmm. into the church and declared that they um uh that, that they wanted to see the statue of Mary so mm-hmm. um yeah so the, the Urukani Catholics were known pretty well especially by 1945 they um they were allowed to pra- practice Catholicism at the time, but there was right. a sense of um some oppression still going on and some kind of um distinguishing between the parts of of the city compared to mm-hmm to the um, underclass in Norukami because they were not very well off. Um, and so I generally worked in in um, factories and things like that as well. So
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this uh, um, sort of factories during the, during the world war two. So, I mean, being Catholic victims in world war two in Japan in itself mm. adds some extra layer to this problem of who is the, you know, uh, oppressor and oppressed to begin with. But uh your book briefly mentioned some of them are actually um involved with the Mitsubishi factories, you know, which was making the torpedoes and bombs and weapons, you know, that served the Japanese state during the war. Does that sort of put any accent to their narrative uh as a victims of this uh, atomic bomb or they they sort of tend to separate these two incidents. Um you know, mm-hmm. on the one hand they're contributing to this state politics and in providing the services to the military invasions of the other country by the Japanese imperial forces, but then on the other hand they suffer from this unspeakable atrocity of atomic bomb. Um, mm-hmm. did, did any of these uh, um, survivors talk about these two two things as um, something opposing forces or just completely compartmentalized memories?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a really interesting question. And I think, you know, again, quite a complex picture uh, because, the of course, the one of the things I bring out in the book is that there was a, a major persecution of the Urukami Catholics, uh, mm-hmm. which happened in the 1860s to 70s. Right. So this is, you know, in terms of 1945, it's still very... Um, not, not really that long ago uh, you know well I suppose it's uh 70 years so it's right. you know it's it's similar to thinking about the atomic bombing now mm-hmm. but, um, you know definitely there's still at this stage grandparents uh, who have experienced this who have been exiled who've been taken to various parts of Japan and uh, treated very badly and uh, you know members of their families who didn't come back because they uh, were mistreated or not fed or uh, didn't get water. So um, this this occurred. And as a result of that, um, after 1873, it's very different for the Catholics compared to other Christians in Japan, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's definitely more resistance in the end during World War II amongst mm-hmm. uh, other Christian groups against the war effort than amongst the Catholics. And I think it's sort of understandable because uh, for these Catholics who have been persecuted so badly and who, I guess, for 250 years they've gone underground to try to avoid the worst abuses, Um, Mm -hmm. then they've kind of got to this point where in the 1930s the, the Pope, in fact, the Vatican says... Look, it's okay. You guys can go onto the shrine. You can, uh, you know, um, <laughs> you can you can support the the, the Shinto, um, <laughs> right. kokutai, and so on, um, wow. and and you can still be Catholic. So they accept <laughs> that they they uh, and so you know in terms of the Catholics, they're actually fairly supportive of the war. Many of them go off to the war, um, so. There's in fact, you know there's in the church which was bombed on the by the atomic bombing, uh, there was there was goods in there that were to support the war effort as well. And so mm-hmm. I think the, the teenagers who are the, the ones I interviewed who were teenagers at the time who were in Mitsubishi factories, this was just mm-hmm. what happened. This was, um, I think right across Japan that that uh, people were draw, drawn to support the war effort. they had to do it. Um, yeah, but you know, again, Fukuhori, who I spoke to, who I mentioned before, he talked about he was making tin boats for the Tokoto for the right. uh, for the um, Kamikaze effort, and he just couldn't believe it. He 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 told me that was a uh, that was a baka
0: mm-hmm. stupid <laughs> yeah. idea.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: It was interesting. Some of the survivors talked about how you know, they were asked to enter Shinto uh, shrine, they went around the gate, Torii.
1: Yeah. Or
0: uh, when the teacher asked that the, you have to dedicate yourself to the state Shinto, and then he cried that I still cannot, you know, I cannot endorse that view. And as a child, already recognizing that this sort of discrepancy between state mm-hmm. church you know, of, of Shinto shrine, and then uh, their religious, you know, belongings that are, they already experienced mm-hmm. a little bit of that when they were little, and yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to see the complex issues in Nagasaki. Uh, that is, you know, I didn't see that sort of um, uh, internal struggles with the um, narratives from Hiroshima, for instance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that would uh, make me think about this um, a persecution. Uh, they call it waves. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about these waves? And also, I, I'd like to ask, how do they see the last, this sort of, Fifth wave during the World War II and previous four. Uh, do they still recognize the same? They're sort of um there's analysis of the victimizers. Do they change any narratives between fourth and fifth? Or all five were generally the same? Um, right. So
1: two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I, I know I uh in the book I mentioned that the that there are some who called the atomic bombing, the fifth fifth wave, or the Goban wow. Kuzure, uh, and mm-hmm. and actually, uh, you know, that was probably for a short period. That was uh, that's that hasn't stuck. So you know, it's not kind oh. of a you know that's mm-hmm. not the way that they they would think about it these days. Uh, and so yeah, there's definitely there's a strong qualitative difference between them. <laughs> So there, mm-hmm. there's a narrative of the first to the fourth Kuzure, which is still mm-hmm. very strong, and and then the atomic bombing is kind of a separate one nowadays. But I think that the, the real impression amongst the people uh, when they came back uh, to Nagasaki after the bombing, the atomic bombing was, oh, this, this reminds us of when we came back after the fourth persecution because, again, again, at that time they'd had some houses still and they'd had um, some raised and so they they were they, they lost you know again
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. right yeah so it's not as um how should i say it? it's not within this traditional narrative of the state persecution against the christians in, in, in japan but they mm-hmm. see this strong parallel or like sort of a image that resonates with the, their past experience, basically, when, when they talk about fifth Kuzure.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I see. Um, so I, I would like to talk about this um, persecution in Nagasaki and how that plays in the context of perhaps theology. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, does, you know, first of the first question is this Does Nagasaki Christians and their unique, you know, intercultural Mariology, so the worship of Mario Kannon or the statue of Maria with this sort of a keloid scar from the uh, exposure to the radiation or mm-hmm. atomic bomb, does it present a challenging or interesting issue to today's theology uh, in a the sense that you talk about this, how the missionary actually didn't discover? the hidden Christians, but hidden Christians discover uh, missionary. So there's sort of, um, you know, the church, the Vatican, the traditional authoritative uh, narrative of the tradition, and then you have these hidden Christians that are being oppressed and they couldn't express their uh, religious belongings freely in their state. Um, According to the Christian doctrine, it seems like these hidden Christians are actual Christians, and then you know, the state, uh, the um, authority should learn something from these oppressed, but I'm sure this is not the official narrative. So I'd like to hear um, your um, knowledge of what's going on with this discussion between hidden Christians and Catholic Church. Uh,
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting question and a a really important Mm -hmm. one, I think. But I do think that you're right. I think uh, that in the end, uh, unfortunately Rome uh, kind of drowns out the Urukami Catholics and you know despite the fact that uh, there is so much to learn from mm-hmm. from these people and yeah uh, so for, my example would be when I went to Nagasaki last year um, in November 2019 I went uh, specifically I wanted to be there when Pope Francis arrived in Nagasaki and Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know so i was really interested and i think Mm -hmm. you know definitely pope francis has advanced uh things to some degree in terms of looking looking for the ordinary believer and trying to um trying to stop the pomp and ceremony to some degree within the catholic church but i think it's still really hard because if you've been to the vatican you'll know what i mean it's it's just such a such a different mm-hmm. place, such a splendid, <laughs> splendid place. But then, right. uh, when what I was really hoping to see was to see Pope Francis meet some of the Hibakusha and just take some time and just listen mm-hmm. properly. And I, I, um, and he did. He met he met one of the survivors who I um, was able to interview, Fukuhori Shigeni. Oh,
0: so, I see.
1: Fukori uh, Shigemi, I met him at the Catholic Church, and uh, and he was really interesting. Uh, but he became the representative of the Hibakusha, and then went to meet Pope Francis. Um, mm-hmm. And it was absolutely pouring down with rain, and um, they met. <laughs> and uh, you know, I I think it's kind of just a, a gesture, and then. The Pope Pope Francis was moved on, and there was absolutely no traffic. The police shut down the whole street, and um, right. and then he was off to mass, and and he looked so tired. And I was just you know, but there were some beautiful mm. moments there, and and it was mm. I guess I guess the moment of hope for me was that out of all of the icons and um, different symbols that they could have chosen, the one mm. that they put the put at the front of the mass. And the Urakami Mass that they held, they held it at the baseball stadium, which mm-hmm. has a history itself because this is where the U.S. Army actually made mm-hmm. a, a stadium themselves, and I'm um, we'll about that briefly in the book. And uh, mm-hmm. and anyway, but the icon they put at the front of the mass was the uh, the fractured Maria um, mm-hmm. that, that they they've um, now put in the church.
0: Mm-hmm. This is the the Maria Kano or just the Maria with the keloid scar. Uh,
1: the Maria with the keloid scar. Yeah. Keloid
0: scar. I see. Yeah. So they, he did actually see this sort of a symbol of that the victims of atomic bomb with the Maria statue and mm-hmm. gave a mass. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. So but there's a uh, yeah, You see a little bit of development with the Rome um, in terms of the recognizing this um, dangerous memory from Nagasaki.
1: Yeah, yeah there, there, there is and um, Pope Francis sent out a, a postcard as well I don't know if, if uh, you probably haven't seen it but it was one one from Nagasaki with the, uh, oh, the uh, a, um, mm-hmm. holding his sibling on his back and his siblings unfortunately passed away mm-hmm. and yeah. so waiting for the um, for the cremation I believe so mm-hmm. uh, this was the postcard he chose to send out and you know he has campaigned against nuclear weapons, uh, mm-hmm. so you know there's a sense that he does hold um, the the community. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, there's still further to go, I think, in terms of listening to um, the experiences and uh, and learning from from the people a little bit more.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you see this sort of uh, Maria Canon uh, narrative? Does that, It has many interreligious dialogue aspect or today's sort of Nagasaki Catholic, Catholics tends to be much more closer to this sort of, a, you know, Rome, like a sort of a traditional Catholicism or they, they still retain a little bit of a, these interreligious aspects? Um,
1: yeah, the, there is a little, um, little bit of the interreligious aspects and certainly still... Um, mm-hmm. There's a, a focus on Maria and uh, Mary as being close by, um, and so I think I, I pick it up in my book. But you know, there was multiple cases where um, people want to talk about Mary as um, mm-hmm. as the image that that is sympathetic and that um, is with us. You know, the the idea of almost God with us um, right. through Mary. So. Um, so I think there's there's still some kind of synergy with the um, hidden Christian, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, um, their, their ancestry as well. But mm-hmm. um, but there's probably still more to study about that. And, sure. Yeah, uh, to find you
0: out. know. Then I yeah. I do I have to um, come back to a little bit of more theological perspective, and I have a pretty hard question. I, I've been thinking about this as well. Um, Two things. First, um, you talked about the the book of Job. Um, you know the significant parallel between the book of Job and survivors in Nagasaki. Um, so, the book of Job itself talks about this sort of um, you know arguments for and against divine retribution principle, and then basically the book ends with this God siding with the Job and said, "No, the innocent could su- suffer for no reasons," and not all sufferings are divine punishment, right? And it seems like the the famous theologians that you mentioned, Nagai, and his uh, argument about Hansai and Setsuri seemed to go along with this divine retribution principle that we are supposed to suffer because of, we are sinful Christians. Um, but the Book of Job is actually opposite argument at the end. That, yeah, no, that some of us could actually suffer from these. Problems without no reasons, and we don't we don't really have any explanation for this. Um, then your book mentions this uh, John Paul's second visit, his his visit to Nagasaki, and how he shifted attention from Hansai Sitsri's argument about the war, uh, atomic bombing, to war as something that the human responsibility that it's it could have been avoided, which you know put this relief to the uh, survivors of the atomic bomb in Nagasaki. Do you see this sort of conflict between, you know, Hansai Tsutsuri argument on the one side, which seems to suggest divine retribution principle and John Paul II comes in and say, no, wars are human responsibility that we should avoid it. Uh, it's, it's something that we can, you know, uh, avoid. It's, it's not destined to happen to, to you as Christians. Um first of all my question is like do you see this sort of conflict between two perspectives and how do these survivors handle these uh two huge arguments that are you know uh pretty much brewing in in their hearts
1: Yeah I think I think you're right I think there is um there's a very there's a difficulty with this so the um there's a sense that amongst the survivors the Catholic um, people I spoke with that they want to honor the Hansai Setsudi idea. So just to explain that a little bit, um, I think that Nagai Takashi spoke um, at a memorial service very soon after the atomic bombing and um, and his idea was that perhaps perhaps this uh, actually happened for good, that perhaps the, uh, this was some kind of sacrifice that had to happen. Uh, in order to for the war to end, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that he actually was saying that um, the hunt side that the sacrifice was of the innocent, um, you know, so that because mm-hmm. and and there's a contextual part of that. I think that in the early stages after the bombing, some people were asking, you know, whether uh, the Catholics were actually punished for worshiping an enemy god. So you know, right. in a sense, this is still that that kind of oppressive atmosphere which we were talking about before Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, even one of um, Nagai's Catholic friends said to him so do you think we're getting punished and then he goes Mm -hmm. "Uh, well let me think about that and then so he comes up with this idea and so perhaps God can use everything perhaps providentially this atomic Mm -hmm. bomb could have been part of God's plan the mm-hmm. problem, problem with that was uh, everyone who, who survived, everyone who lived on, um, if they believed in this, once I said City, then um, God did this to you. To you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. This, this was uh, pretty pretty harsh. And so yeah. um, so then, as you said, John Paul II in 1981 came along and said, you know, very, very strongly that war is uh from humankind so um i think that that shifted things a little bit for some of the the survivors and some of the people so to really just repeat that and to say yeah so that um sexuality mm. may be maybe good but the the atomic bombing was nothing to do with with god's providence
0: mm. so. okay yeah so um, there's a way to sort of separate These two incidents. It's a separation, I guess. Yeah. 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 But it's very difficult. It seems like in one sense.
1: It's complicated, yeah. And so some of the other people who I spoke to still wanted to try to explain Hansai Setsubi and uh, Mm. trials, like uh, Shiren as well, to me. Um, But
0: also Nagai was such a charismatic figure, the survivor and, you know, the victim of the atomic Bomb and he died in the fifties, right? Like he died a few years of uh, preaching this Hansai Setsuri, and he passed away. Yeah, that's so true. It played an important role in sort of preserving the faith even after the face of mm-hmm. um, atrocity, and some some of them even called the fifth wave, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So it's very difficult to um, just treat his arguments as theological argument. Just move on. It's something that actually
1: mm-hmm. drives
0: the Catholics in Nagasaki to keep holding their faith, right? Yeah, oh, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so, I would like to ask this last question on the book about this: the future of Nagasaki. Um, so, you mentioned in your book that there's a fissure between Catholics and non-Catholics in Nagasaki, and also there's long history of oppression of Nagasaki Catholic Catholics by the Japanese state, so the official Japanese uh, narrative of national, not nation, narrative of the Japanese country seem to be not in line with this sort of historical narrative that the uh, Nagasaki Catholics are going through. How do we move forward as a country? Or like, how, how do you suggest that, the, is this a this dangerous memory is something that happened in Nagasaki? And, it, you know, I'm, I'm certain that you're not saying that But, you know, some people said this is just happening in Nagasaki, and this is something that has to be dealt with within the community of Nagasaki. But I would say that somehow, like Hiroshima Nagasaki's memory has to be integrated to the national history. And, you know, how do we move forward? Um, I mean, this is a huge question to ask you, but since you're the specialist of uh, Nagasaki, um, you know, Catholic survivors. So do you have any... Suggestions or um, ideas?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely a big question. And uh, I don't have all of the answers for this. Uh, <laughs> sure. right. I, I do remember I saw this uh, NHK documentary actually, which was about uh, two Hibaksha. One was a um, Catholic and the other one was a uh, person from a uh, what was known as a Burakumin community. Mm. And, uh, it was a really lovely uh, documentary because basically these two sort of were brought together. They they talked mm. about the past. They had both survived the atomic bomb, of course, so this is a commonality. Uh, but mm. they, they realised that their, um, their ancestry goes further back than that because basically the... The um, Burakumin community were called upon by the uh, Nagasaki magistrate to look out for the Catholics and even to arrest them and to uh, put them into exile camps. And yeah. so, so, this there was a just a moment of really interesting reconciliation between these two people. Uh, a, and, yeah. and to me, that's that's kind of what it's about. So this dangerous memory, if if we'll talk about it. Um, there's, there's going to be moments of reconciliation and ways of moving forward together. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, through all of this study, um, there's been so many of those moments. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was just kind of um, thinking in terms of the community as a whole, there is this place called Karematsu Jinja, which is a mm-hmm. shrine. But because of the hidden Christian um, past, uh, at this shrine, once a year, there is a, a joint Catholic, hidden Christian, Shinto, um, you know, service. <laughs> and mm, so interesting. Wow. The, the other one that I wanted to mention, which is mm-hmm. um, not on the 9th of uh, August, which is, of course, Nagasaki Day, but the day before, on the 8th of August, there mm-hmm. is always in the evening, there's a joint religious ceremony. And mm-hmm. yes, there's um, Catholic, Buddhist, Shinto, um, probably some other groups as well, who, who come together and they pray for all of the different victims uh, and um, people who've passed away and affected by the atomic bombing. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, there, there's a lot of hope, and uh, and definitely meeting these uh, people as well. Uh, I'm just, I was just so impressed by their resilience that their their life in them and, and their um their interest in the future as well
0: mhm that's fantastic that you already see this sort of uh, communal effort to move forward within the community of um, um within the community in nagasaki and that already embraces this sort of um you know interreligious dialogue and sort of reconciliation between the oppressors and the oppressed uh, that 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 is really fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, sorry. I think I hope that you know, in a sense, that those people will be able to be listened to by the broader community in Japan, because I think that's mm-hmm. that's one thing is that perhaps out of Nagasaki, there can be um, you know that that kind of reconciliation can be perceived like or seen around Japan as well.
0: Mm-hmm, right. So it's not only the specific community, but it's just the the model for the. Uh, peace within Japan um, and beyond, right? That is yeah, yeah. definitely taking place in Nagasaki. Yeah, that is that is a great... And I, you can see that from reading your book that there's something more going on in Nagasaki. Uh, you only see the glimpse of these, you know, the dialogues from the interviews that you, you conducted. Um, so this is a great place to actually feel that sort of um, um, strong hope, actually, regardless of these atrocities and you know uh, damage that they suffer from uh, in, in the past is you know move forward mm-hmm. um, i'd like to keep talking about this for the next hour and so but we're coming to an end of the interview um, so i'd like to ask you about your plans for the future and uh, your hope <laughs> as they were so what are you working on right now and what's your future research agendas
1: Sure. Uh, right now, I'm doing. I'm really working in a very different field. I'm actually uh, writing or uh, working on editing a book, and it's mm-hmm. going to be about uh, olfactory sense in Asia. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm trying to write. I'm writing something about um, the author Endo Shusaku to go within that book. And um, but apart from that, I'm actually hoping to get to Nagasaki. In October, mm-hmm. if there's any chance of getting there in October, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then um, um, <laughs>
0: yeah. we'll see. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the what the book on. You said factory workers in Asia.
1: Uh, sorry. Mm-hmm. The, the book which I'm uh, working on at the moment is on scent, so mm-hmm. olfactory senses. So, in other words, um, your sense of smell and
0: ah, I see. So wow, fantastic
1: it's, it's studies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to interview you when the when the book comes out. Um oh,
1: thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Um so good luck for the forthcoming projects and thank you so much for talking to us about your book and your incredible analysis of Nagasaki and uh this you know really profound collective memories of the war survivors, Gwen.
1: It's been entirely my pleasure. Thank you.
0: And thank you, everyone. This was our discussion with the Gwen McClellan who is the author of Dangerous Memory in Nagasaki, Prayers, Protests, and Catholic Survival Narratives. See you next time.